0: I'm Kendra Rogers, and this is Paper Napkin. I am so glad you're here. The world felt distant and connection felt hard. So I reached out to the most interesting people I know for a conversation about how we can build stronger connections and more meaningful relationships. Grab a pen, a piece of paper, or a paper napkin and get ready to connect. Jill Andres is aware of many hats, always. At the moment, those hats are founder and principal at Creating Value, a social purpose consultancy that works with organizations to achieve greater social impact, executive director of Winnipeg Poverty Reduction Council, focused on addressing the underlying causes of poverty by building and capitalizing on community strength, and a doctor of social sciences student at Royal Roads University. Remember when I said many hats? She's also a participatory process designer, a facilitator, a coach, and the mom of a teenager and two active pups. Jill and I connected about six years ago. And since then, she has been a constant source of inspiration to me. Not all of us can say that what we do makes a tangible difference in the world, but Jill can. She's a change maker, innovator, problem solver, and the definition of dynamic. She's always juggling multiple high-impact projects, learning, co-creating, and testing within social innovation labs, and building connections between people and organizations. And she does so with a unique combination of intelligence, openness, and creativity. Jill, welcome to Paper Napkin. I am so thrilled that you're here with us.
1: Kendra, hi. What a beautiful introduction. Thank you so much for that.
0: You are so welcome. It's all truth. I gave a bit of an introduction to who you are, but I think it's always great to hear straight from you what you do and especially why you do it.
1: Well, you talked a little bit about the different roles that I have and the different hats. And in terms of all the different hats, that stems, I think, just from a deep curiosity about the world and and different facets of the world and also from this sense of needing what i do to contribute in some way and so i think ever since i was young i felt that it was important that whatever it was that i did contribute in some way to meaningful change however small that might be that is
0: Such a beautiful way to put the way that you have lived your life, it sounds like, is that idea of contributing and making meaningful change. Is that something that there's, an, in, there's obviously an intention when you wake up in the morning. I mean, you've built a life around it. Is there something that you continue to tell yourself, some way that you find a compass to navigate through your life in order to find those things that allow you to contribute?
1: It might have been Steve Jobs or someone like that who talked about our paths making sense in retrospect so i think that as you're saying it, it, it was more about that compass and the the pull of the magnetic north on the compass helping me decide what it was that i was going to do next as opposed to any sort of career path i don't think i've ever had a clear a career path set out for myself. I've been guided by other things. And, and I think primarily those are things have been what I was saying at the outset about curiosity and just that pull to contribute somehow. I think that ever since I was little, I've had an orientation towards social justice and towards working to change Things that have struck me as being unjust. So I think part of the path that I take is how do I continue to learn from others? So whether it's through informal conversations, through watching incredible people, through working with others through formal learning, any sort of opportunity I have to learn from the people around me so that I can bring that also into what it is that that I'm doing, I'm just so grateful for that. And I think that I've been lucky my whole life to be surrounded by people who have that kind of inner commitment that inner fire to be doing things that matter and those are the kinds of people that I try to surround myself by or with and learn from and they're the ones who I think inspire me to keep going
0: and how do you think that the work that you do impacts the way that you view those connections and view those learnings that you experience from other people
1: well, I think I might take a step back and say, so the work that I do mostly right now is around bringing people together from a variety of backgrounds around some sort of complex social issue. So that complex social issue could be related to any of the sustainable development goals, for example. So it could be around poverty hunger, homelessness, any of these challenges that are messy and inherently interconnected such that they can't be reduced, they're irreducible and interconnected. And so those challenges have caused a shift in how we think about addressing them. So there was a time, of course, when we said it's the job of this nonprofit organization or this government department or these individuals or what have you to address this challenge. And the reality is now that we're understanding more about complexity and about the systems that surround these challenges, we're realizing that that's not possible that the challenges require people from different backgrounds, different disciplines, different life experiences, different sectors who bring different perspectives, bodies of knowledge to the challenge. And it's about then creating solutions that you couldn't possibly have done just with one isolated group. And so that's changed how I've thought about connections because I guess i think about the connections not only between the people we're bringing together but between the different elements of that challenge all the different parts of that so if we're thinking about homelessness or housing for example we would be thinking about the different actors in that system and that might include people who are are working on zoning policies at the municipal level funding at the federal level in canada for example it would involve people who are experiencing homelessness or have experienced homelessness, agencies that are working to support people, developers, architects, and then all of the other areas that touch on it as well, like income assistance or child welfare, or all of these things that we may not actually think about that are, but that are part of this web of solutions that needs to be considered. And so understanding the connections within the issue itself, as well as starting to build relationships and connections between the people who have a role in addressing it, I think that those things have shifted for me considerably since I started this work years ago. That is
0: so fascinating, the intersectionality of connection and the way that you're starting to see those intersections play out. And I'm curious because I think when you speak about people from different backgrounds, sectors, life experiences, of course they would bring something extra to the table. Have you found ways to make the conversations more inclusive, ways to build those connections? What do those look like?
1: That's a great question. And actually, that was what created the curiosity and created the drive and interest in doing the doctorate that I'm doing right now. When we're thinking about these participatory processes, bringing people together across backgrounds and sectors to solve a a particular challenge. And in the field that I'm in, which is often called social innovation, these processes are often referred to as social innovation labs. Essentially what that means is that there's the challenge at the center, there is a particular question that we are trying to address, we're looking at it from all different angles, we're bringing in as deep an understanding and spending time to develop as deep an understanding of the challenge as possible from all of these different perspectives bringing in solutions that have already been created in different contexts to see if there are things that can be built upon. And then it's about starting to identify and test different solutions and different possibilities so that things that have potential can be built on and can be implemented and so forth. And the things that don't, we can just potentially move away from. So the focus has been on that outcome. The focus has been on those solutions, but what people are starting to take note of is what's happening in the dynamics of the process itself. And I think that speaks to the question that you're posing is we can look at these processes as a means to an end, as the way we get to the innovations, but we can also look at them as an end in and of themselves because it's through sitting with talking with building relationships and trust with people who see the world differently who see a particular issue differently that we actually have the potential to not only come up with solutions but create the conditions for those solutions to take root and so you asked about what are those conditions so how do we actually how do we actually do that And I think there is probably a lot that we have to learn yet. I know there is a lot that we have to learn yet. There's a ton that I have to learn yet around this. One of the things that factors in in a really significant way is power, power differentials. And so we're very mindful about who we're bringing together, how we're bringing people together, Who is at the table? Who is not at the table? What ideas are deemed to be good ideas? Whose ideas get to move forward? Whose don't? We try to move away from just consultation with people into actual co-creation with, so that those different perspectives are there throughout. Part of what I'd like to better understand is how we can learn from processes like restorative justice or healing circles, or other processes where transformation happens in groups, where people might come in with a certain mindset and a certain perception that could be fairly rigid and they leave that group process having been transformed in some way. And I'm curious about how we can create these processes that not only lead to innovative solutions, but that also lead to individual and collective transformation. And then how that transformation might lead to greater action and greater empowerment of people to work towards those solutions.
0: I am curious about that as well. And I I think we might have to do, a follow-up to continue to learn from you along that journey. This idea of sitting with people and building trust with people, I think is actually perfect for you. And obviously you've gone down the route that you've gone down and followed your passion. So it makes sense that you are in a position of creating space. And I think that's what you do so well as you create space for other people, you build trust with other people. This idea of building trust in groups and impacting the individual and the group At that level, I just, I want to pick your brain in a million different ways. If there's any actions that you take or any ways you've been a facilitator, you've been a speaker, you've been a coach for so long. Are there ways that our listeners can tap into your brilliance when they are trying
1: to bring groups together? Well, first off, I think it's a practice and it's one that I'm continuing to practice. It's kind of like yoga. When we have a yoga practice, certainly I don't anticipate ever being an advanced practitioner, I am always in the practice. It's the same thing in this, it's a practice. And every time I facilitate, there are things that I've missed and there are things that I would do differently And one of the things that I love to do is, is facilitate with others. So one of my favorite people to facilitate with is Lena Suits, who is the director of the Trico Changemaker Studio at Mount Royal University. And Lena and I have been facilitating together for a few years and support one another in this practice and in what it is that we're trying to create. So that's one piece is about continuing as a facilitator and a designer of these processes to understand who we are, to understand what we're bringing into the space. So what is my own positionality? I come into these spaces with quite a bit of privilege. I come into these spaces and need to be aware of the power that I have and how I use that. I need to be aware of some of the quirks of my own behavior and how those show up in a helpful or an unhelpful way. So there's a lot of work that I continue to do and continue to work with others on to show up because when we're designing these processes and facilitating these processes, We become a vehicle, we're creating that container, and then we need to hold that container. And that asks a lot of facilitators, especially because these conversations, if they are what they need to be, they're not comfortable conversations every single time. We're trying to create space for those difficult conversations to unfold in such a way that there isn't further trauma that's inflicted, for example, and that trust and relationships can actually build be built. And I think the biggest thing to bear in mind is that that takes time as well. Often people want fixes and they want them really quickly. And certainly there are things that can happen right away, but there are other things that depend on the ability of people to work with others that they might not agree with. So when you're bringing people together around an issue like vulnerable watershed, for example, you could have farmers, recreational boaters, environmentalists, environmental scientists. You could have just concerned community members. You're bringing people together who come from very different perspectives. And yet there are ways to build those relationships and move forward. But when you're coming in from such different places, you can't just jump into solution. It takes time to understand the challenge. It takes time to understand the challenge from these different perspectives. And it takes time to build and create the conditions that will actually see the solutions potentially succeed. So brilliant.
0: I love your analogy of it being like yoga. And I love that I asked you, do you have a one-stop shop tip for us? And your response was, no, let's slow down. Let's take a moment and step back. Let's be aware of our privilege, be aware of our own behavior. Let's show up and let's be a container and know that these things take time. And I think that those are, actually such beautiful pieces of wisdom for any conversation, not necessarily just for the facilitation and and the work that you do, but in having any hard, uncomfortable conversation with someone, I think the piece that you're bringing there of saying it's not actually about jumping to the solution, but it is about being a receptacle, being a container for that and allowing space for that is such a beautiful message. And actually, it it is an actionable insight in the end, but it's one that takes practice. As you say, I, I absolutely love that. How do you connect? What does connection look like to you?
1: Maybe let me tell you a little bit about a new connection for me. And it's outside of work, And it's one that has been a little bit unexpected. It's been very unexpected, actually, but one that I've really welcomed. We just moved back to Winnipeg, where I live, a couple of years ago. So one year outside of COVID, one year inside of COVID has been the experience here. And this home that we moved into has this lovely apple tree. And it is on the side of our property. And it is a a kind of a community tree. It's actually, so it's in our yard but for many many years my understanding is that people from the community have come and and picked apples from the tree so when we moved in I found this old apple picker in the shed and I don't know how old it would be it was very worse for wear so we thought okay well let's just put this out we'll put it out we'll lean it against the fence we will see who comes and we'll put up a sign that just says please help yourselves and people did we would have people on our yard talking to one another and picking apples and it was really quite wonderful and in fact we have now a second apple picker because someone one day anonymously just dropped a second one off on our step which was really quite lovely and so we've got those out there. I was out there one day chatting with people and this older woman came across the street and introduced herself. And she said, my grandfather built the first houses on this street. And so shared a little bit of her experience of growing up on the street and what that was like. She was a really interesting woman, had a lot of stories to tell and Then once fall was over, we kind of, uh, I mean, it's very, very cold in here. Fall ends, people go inside and they don't really come out again too, too much to have long conversations again until the spring. Well, this year or last year, COVID hit. And so we we were kind of looking around thinking, okay, who do we need to, who do we need to reach out to who might be having difficulty during this time? So we went and we just popped a card in, in the mailbox across the street and just said, if you need anything, here's our email address and phone number, just be in touch. And so she did. So her name is Helen and Helen gave us a call and initially, actually, I tried to set her up with groceries online and that didn't quite, it just didn't pan out. That didn't, that didn't work. So ever since last April, I guess it was, we've been grocery shopping for Helen and also for her brother who lived just down the street. And what that's turned into is a weekly driveway conversation with this older woman who I probably would have, you know, just continued to say hello to on the street but every time we drop off the groceries we end up having this lovely long conversation with Helen on her driveway we have very different religious beliefs political beliefs and uh, different ways of being in the world but it has become a really wonderful friendship and connection and something I think quite wonderful that has emerged from this time that I don't think otherwise would have come about.
0: I love that. What a brilliant story. And what a nice example of connection that really is an unexpected connection. I liked what you said too, about the fact that you are very different people. And I mean, I think we tend to gravitate towards people that are like us sometimes. And the fact that you have gained so much from this relationship with someone who is very different from you is so heartening.
1: I think that's so true. And we've actually talked about that I think it's important especially during these times in our world where we do tend to sort of bubble up with people who think like us and and act like us and look like us to be more intentional about who we're choosing to reach out to so that we're actually starting to reach out beyond our bubbles.
0: Within the context of that connection and this idea of connecting with people who are different than you and the ways that that brings vibrancy, brings texture to your life. Have you thought at all about the ways in which people can facilitate those kinds of connections? I think part of the challenge sometimes is the fact that there are your neighbors and your story is a brilliant example of meaningful connection that happened sort of through happenstance. Sometimes the act of connection feels intimidating if it doesn't happen unexpectedly. And I just wondered if you had any thoughts on that.
1: Yeah. Connecting is vulnerable, isn't it? I don't know what it is in us. Maybe it's this deep seated fear of rejection that lives in us as humans, but there was even that twinge just before we went and put the note in Helen's mailbox, for example, that, well, she's lived here for so long. She probably knows other people. She probably already has people who do this. There are those kinds of fears that come up, that fear of putting yourself out there, that fear of being vulnerable, and that fear of an offer being rejected. We're able to sort of reground and say, oh my goodness, Really, it's about being human. It's about being a neighbor. It's about creating the kind of community we want to live in. Let me get over myself and do this. It is that vulnerability. And I think one of the things that COVID has done is it created a disruption in how we had become used to connecting or not connecting. And so it created a window of opportunity for connection. It gave us an excuse. It gave me an excuse to put the letter in the mailbox, the note in the mailbox. We have lovely neighbors just across the street as well, who decided that around the winter holidays, the the kids made these cards and they put cards in everyone's mailboxes up and down the street with drawings that the kids had done and In another year, they might not have done that. So when we see these windows that present, I think we need to stick our hands in there and pull that window open just a little bit more in order to take advantage of this opportunity to create connections.
0: Such a great insight around the fact that COVID sort of brought people together and broke down those barriers. And I think the fact that we are all going through a collective trauma, that we were all experiencing it at once. Sometimes, and to your point around the fear of rejection and vulnerability, it can feel as though other people don't have that feeling, perhaps. And so when everyone is in a situation of extreme vulnerability, like in a global pandemic, perhaps that's when our walls come down and we realize we're all kind of in the same boat. But it, it strikes me that actually, even when those walls are up, behind that wall is someone who is very vulnerable, And the act of taking a letter and putting it in a mailbox is an act of bravery in itself that should be encouraged, that should be spoken about more. Those connections and those pieces are heartening and they're heartwarming and you hear about them and they impact you, yet they're not always necessarily the first thing that come to mind for you to do. So I love that you did it. Bravo to you and your family and your whole neighborhood. Sounds pretty idyllic, actually.
1: Well, I think it's interesting. I don't know that we're that different than a lot of places, except that people are taking these small steps. And I love what you're doing with your podcast, Kendra. You're demonstrating courage to connect. You are talking with people who have courage to connect. And I think that part of it is in remembering that each of us does have not only that sense of fear around it and that sense of vulnerability around it, but also a very human compulsion to connect. And so we can hold both of those things, maybe paradoxically that connecting feels vulnerable and it feels hard. And at the same time, we need connection to thrive and to be more fully who we are. And so I think holding that for ourselves and being a little bit gentle with ourselves when we have those things, that sense that comes up that it feels risky or knowing also that all of us have so much to gain. And I think all of us have so much to gain on a personal level, on a neighborhood or community level. And also, I think that there's actually a very real urgency and level of seriousness around finding ways to connect. I think that so many of the challenges that we're experiencing right now, and one of the reasons I'm so passionate about the work and why I'm thinking so much more about these processes and these ways we do come together is because I think that the complexity of the challenges that face our world demands this of us and I think we are being called to that at a time where people are less connected, perhaps, in some ways than they have been, less connected across the bubbles that we spoke about earlier. Likely, we are much more connected within those sort of like-minded spaces, but I think we are challenged to connect across those spaces. And so when we take it from that very personal level of connecting with someone where the stakes are are fairly low, I mean, honestly, putting a letter in a neighbor's mailbox is pretty low stakes and then those stakes increase and they can increase to the extent that they actually become they can become psychologically risky or even physically risky in some instances in terms of what we're seeing around us these days i think again practicing practicing doing this when the stakes are a little bit lower makes it just a little bit easier to connect when those stakes are a bit higher
0: that's such a great point the Act of practicing to start to feel more natural by starting in the shallow end mm-hmm. and then wading your way into the deep end, which is so interesting because when you, when you touch on the podcast, that's what I've done is I've started in the shallow end of people that I know and, and trust and who I admire. And I've started to wade out into that deeper end. But the mm-hmm. idea of the fear of rejection is of course, something that is always present. The mindset that I always try and have, and this is something that someone told me a long time ago, was to try and get 10 no's uh, and you'll end up with a lot more yeses. And so it's, what if they reject me, but what if they don't? And if they don't, what magic and what brilliance could come out of that? And the conversations that are had, the opportunities and excitement I think that exist in that space are worth the challenge every time but it is a muscle I think that you have to stretch.
1: Yeah I love that the the idea of the 10 no's what a beautiful way to orient because then the yeses come in like these jewels and so the expectation creates that opportunity to be really excited when it's different from what you may anticipate.
0: And with the 10 no's, what i found, because I've passed it on to quite a few people, clients and friends, every time people come back and say, I didn't make it to 10 no's, I had to stop asking. I got so many yeses. I was overwhelmed. It's like five years on, they still haven't gotten to 10 no's because actually more people are going to say yes than are going to say no. And you're going to realize quite quickly that trying to get to those no's is a harder challenge than you initially expected.
1: I love it. What a great frame. Thank you for that. (laughs)
0: of course. I wish I could remember who said it to me so I could give them credit, but it was about 10 years ago. So I can't recall. You talked about these divides and you talked about creating bubbles and this idea of people being within their own bubbles. It feels like there's a camp that says the internet and the virtual world is making that worse. There is a camp that says that it's making it better. Which camp are you in or are you somewhere in between?
1: I I think it does both. I I think that, so, so yes, Kendra, I think I've landed squarely in between. I think it's made it possible for people who have felt isolated and as though no one else feels like them or has experienced the same challenges to find others to connect with and empower one another and support one another. And that is beautiful and life giving and is a real gift of the internet and its potential. And yes, we can also become really insular. So On the one hand, absolutely, we are able to connect in different ways with people who can validate our experience and offer support and offer insight and wisdom. And we can connect with people who have had similar experiences and who can support us, but in a way that is quite negative and destructive and life-defying. So... Absolutely. I think both exist. It's a good answer.
0: What is one piece of advice that you often pass on to others?
1: It's not even about connecting, Kendra. Ever since my daughter was born, the saying that has stood out for me is this too shall pass. And it speaks to me with double meaning, with which I believe it was intended so, on the one hand, you can think about it in the context of an infant who is is crying and, and won't stop and the middle of the night feels like it's going to go on and on and on and on. And in that moment, I was able to think to myself, okay, this too shall pass, this too shall pass, this too shall pass. And in those other moments when I would be holding my daughter and, experiencing that profound sense of connection with her it was that reminder that this too shall pass and so i need to be here i need to be fully present in this to whatever extent i can another practice we're talking a lot about practices i have held on to that and to whatever extent it's useful to others i'm happy to share share that
0: that's beautiful. And I think, especially in the world as it is, but it's always the case, that's a very, very old quote, and it never really loses its impact because it forever reminds you to be present in where you are, but to know that the good won't last forever and neither will the bad. And that's sort of the cyclical nature of life. That's one of my favorite quotes as well. I love that you said that. In true paper napkin fashion, this is the last question for you, Jill who should we connect with next and what makes them a great connection
1: there are so many amazing people i can think of who i would suggest to you i will name 3 of them right now because they are women i have just been getting to know since january which was when i started this this when i went back to school And they're in my cohort, and their names are Lucy, Selena, and Tanya. And I could, in fact, name everyone in in that cohort, but I'll name these three because I believe their work is and will be transformational. Each of them has had a very personal journey to find their own sense of alignment and purpose and connection and they are also using their own experience as the basis for the research that they're doing and for the work that they're doing and for the contribution that they want to make to the world. And so I know you would have phenomenal conversations with each one of those brilliant, thoughtful, wise women who bring incredible insight into connecting with oneself and connecting with others in the the world around them. Wow. I look so
0: forward to connecting with Lucy, Selena, and Tanya. And thank you, Jill, for connecting with me. It is always such a pleasure. You are such a bright light. And truly, I said it in the introduction, but you are just such a good person. (laughs) And the way that you communicate, the way that you include, the way that you learn and share those learnings is something that is such an inspiration to me. And I I really can't wait to share that with with other people. So thank you so much.
1: Kendra, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here with you and to have this conversation and to think about connection and to learn from your questions, the bravery and the courage that you have to have taken this step to reach out to people who might be one of those 10 no's but who may also be one of the the yeses one of the many many yeses that i believe you will have as you go forward with this i cannot wait to uh, listen to others you have on your podcast thank you
0: thank you so much for listening and continuing to be a part of our growing community It honestly makes me so excited to know that other people are listening and enjoying these conversations as much as I am. If you have a moment, reviewing us on Apple Podcasts really helps us to get in front of more people, and I'd be forever grateful. Either way, until next time, be kind.